This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today our guest is Mark Kaufman. Mark is a very successful business leader. He is the ex-CEO of Athletico and is the current executive chairman. He is a Northwestern PT school alumni, as am I, and we discuss opening up just one PT clinic and growing that to 500 plus clinics. He has built relationships with multiple pro sports teams, including the Chicago Bears, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Chicago Bulls, and that's just named just to name a few. The list goes on and on. His philosophy of leadership and building cultures is, is enlightening during this discussion. He's a great storyteller and just seems to be, really understand his priorities and values. He's really a nice guy, and and. Uh, and then he's done extremely well and is willing to give back to his community as well. I'm sure you'll enjoy our discussion and hear why he has been so successful. Mark was a real pleasure to talk to, and, and I'm uh, very happy he was willing to come on as a guest. So enjoy our discussion, and let's dive right into it. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the program. I'm glad to have you on today. Steve, uh, it's great to be with you. Good catching up. Uh, for sure. Now, uh, just to start off with, uh, we are both uh, Northwestern alumni, so uh, that's something we got in common and uh, something I'm proud of, uh, as you you as well. Yeah, yes, uh, certainly proud of the uh, of going there and going to the PT program. In fact, uh, my oldest daughter went to Northwestern, not to physical therapy. I don't have any physical therapists in the family, but uh, proud to be a Wildcat. Yeah, that's great. Well, well, awesome. Now, uh, after uh, physical therapy school at Northwestern, you started a private practice uh, fairly quick after you got out of PT school. So just kind of, uh, uh, you know, wh- how did you develop the confidence to jump in uh, that early and get something going? <laughs> well, it's, uh, I, I look back and I, I, I'll be honest in that, that I sometimes ask myself, what was I thinking? But uh uh, I'm very pleased that uh, what came from uh, the idea around Athletico, but I, I knew I wanted to, I, I was an athletic trainer that went on to physical therapy school and thought I always would end up in the college setting, the collegiate setting, working with athletes. And then with PT school, saw the outpatient environment. And uh, of, course, of course, in the late eighties, that was just starting to get its legs and get some momentum around it. And like that felt very comfortable in it and thought that's what I would end up in. And then I, in 89, when I graduated from Northwestern, I, my first job was, uh, in, in, uh, outpatient, uh, physical therapy in an outpatient setting, a company that only had one clinic. They opened a second clinic while I was there and worked with a couple of folks and worked around it to where I understood, uh, was gaining understanding of the business. And, and also it started an outreach athletic training program that was kind of unique and that it wasn't, you know, really uh, not something that anyone else was doing in Chicago. But and if they were, it wasn't well known and not a lot of what I would call support around it. And when I wasn't getting that support, I started to notice some differences in the way I may want to do things or whatever. So I had this idea uh, less than two years later to start my own clinic. And that became Athletico in August of 1991. Yeah, that's amazing. And and when you started that, I mean, how, how did you get the working relationships with uh, the Chicago Bears, the Blackhawks, the Bulls, uh, just to name a few? I mean, don't they have people uh, of their own uh, working with their athletes? Yeah, they did. And um, that I'll give credit to the net. Maybe, you know, uh, one, you know, if I listed my skill sets, one of them is developing relationships and uh, and people like yourself I meet somebody in the, in the field and if that person uh, him or her works to stay in touch I'll certainly do my part and and the uh, relationships matter to me and the the brotherhood of outpatient PT or the athletic training environment 
uh, the brotherhood there, sisterhood with uh, knowing folks. I just naturally migrated to some people. And though I had started an outreach uh, program for my little company, little clinic with a couple of high schools and a rugby club, I hired, I eventually had some athletic trainers working with, with me along with physical therapists. And I I uh, knew uh, through networking relationships, whatever, uh, some of the athletic trainers uh, with these professional teams that you mentioned. And I just said, hey, I know I know what it's like. I know that you may need some extra set of hands on occasion, two-a-day football camps, for example, preseason, NBA, pre-draft camps, things like that. And I know, you know, our, our team would love uh, some exposure with that, being able to work in that environment because they're not going to get it working at Athletico to work with professional teams. And and uh, so they called me and said, hey, we could use somebody for a couple weeks here or a week here. And I'd plug and play our people in, which ultimately uh, became a little bit of a double-edged sword because it became a, a sports marketing relationship, which included dollars and staffing costs eventually. But uh, we were young in that environment, and that's what led to the relationships with the teams, which at one point we had, you know, relationships with every team in Chicago, and that was by design. Yeah, that, that's just so impressive. I mean, when I when I look at that, I mean, every PT that works in the outpatient orthopedic arena, you know, would love to work with those high-profile athletes and those high-profile teams, and it's just amazing to me that uh, not only did you – do one relationship, but but like you said, all, all the different uh, pro and college sports teams in the Chicago area. So uh, you, you got to just be a master relationship builder. Or you got some you got some magic going on there. I, I'm impressed. Well, the uh, I, I'm I uh, call it the chessboard. I look ahead. Uh, some would call me the person that's going to find out everything that's going to go wrong. So I, I remember being very deliberate about setting guideposts with our staff. And that would look like, hey, you're going in and working under this person that has basically devoted their career to the collegiate setting or Major League Baseball or professional football or whatever. And your job isn't to take over their job. Your job is to to listen, learn and be supportive and help them do their job uh, more than uh, better than they can and be, you know, look ahead, look into uh, how you can be supportive, how you, you may help. It's not going into show off your PT or athletic training skills and take over their job. It's not to steal their patients. It's, you know, not to work, you know, become the, the PT for the athletes. And I was very conscious of that because we were, they were doing a favor for us, giving us the opportunity and we were doing a favor for them, you know, filling some gaps that they would have during some crazy times. And, uh, and I want, and I think some, I'll just say, I think some people go into those relationships with their eyes wide open to the point that, you know, they think they can do it better or they're going to show them how to rehab a back or take care of a surgical post-op knee or something like that where, hey, we have some ideas we're willing to share, but let's make let's be clear on the uh, pecking order and who's in, in charge and, the, uh, and how it should work. And uh, I remember having some pretty, you know, deliberate conversations with our team to say, that, here's how it's going to work from my vantage point and here's how you can best serve yourself in Athletico. And, and lo and behold, uh, you know, the Blackhawks, I'll use them as an example. A, a gentleman, Patrick Becker, that was a, a young man from Minnesota, was a PT uh, for us. He worked with us. Uh, we contracted him uh, through the Blackhawks for some home games and some rehab assignments and working with the guys when the team was on the road to where to the point where he was working pretty much all the home games to where he was working uh, during the season with the Blackhawks full-time to where they ultimately hired them, him, and he's in a, a job that is his dream job, uh, working professional hockey, and and Athletico became the vehicle for that. So I'm very happy to see those things happen. It's a, a win-win situation, and uh, happy for Patrick and his family and the, the, what he created for himself there, and, and happy that Athletico was able to help him do that. Yeah, that's just great. I think you bring up a really good point there. I'm a huge believer in collaboration as well, and it's not that scarcity uh, mindset where, you know, uh, there's not enough for everybody. So if I'm going to go in and do this, then I've got to take it away from somebody else. But it's more of that supporting, um, uh, you know, other people doing what they're good at and together you can do it better. So uh, that's, that's a great approach. So I'm, I'm impressed. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to be part of it. <laughs> so what was your motivation then to keep adding clinics uh, to your company? You know, you said you started off with one and, and so uh, eventually you had uh, – 
quite a few. So how, how, how do you, uh, what, what's the mindset as far as your growth on that? Um, you know, so I, <laughs> I always frame it this way. You know, I'm from a town of 180 people in Iowa, 200 people. My parents still live in the house I grew up in, in this small town. And for me to come to athletic or come to Chicago with the idea that I was going to open, you know, five clinics, 10 clinics, 500 clinics, what have you, uh, would have been a little, uh, audacious, let's just say. And, uh, so my goal was to open one clinic, eventually hire a physical therapist or two, hire an athletic trainer and, and be a good provider in our community. I didn't have an aspiration to open two clinics, let alone 500. And so after we did the uh, first center, I uh, felt comfortable. That was in 91. It was three years later when an opportunity presented itself uh, with another facility through uh, some people I knew, again, relationships, and was able to open the second Athletico then. And, you know, that led to the third one next year, to the fourth one. And by the end of uh, probably 2000, you know, nine years later, we had about 10 clinics. I, uh, I'm honest with myself that I remember when we had seven or eight clinics in, in the Chicagoland area, one being up north in Glenview, I thought, we had pretty good coverage of the Chicago land market. <laughs> and so uh, once we went to 10 to 25 to 100, mostly in Illinois, mostly in Chicago land, I stopped forecasting how far Athletico would go because it didn't make me look any brighter when I uh, would say, yeah, we have pretty good coverage and then we double our size in the next couple of years. But you know how that, that has worked out with your career too. But uh, that's how we did it. And it was a stepping stone approach. We didn't do an acquisition until accelerated in 2014. So our clinics, you know, would, We'd find that we were, you know, getting some market share in one facility, and then uh, naturally through our model, we'd find a, a person usually identified around a person, a, a young lady or young man that uh, wanted to manage a facility and had the character skill set or the characteristics to do so, and and we'd try to find them a place, and that would provide a good opportunity for them, and it would provide a growth uh, strategy for Athletico. Yeah, that that's awesome. And and how do you how do you did you build the culture of Athletico over those years? I mean, as you get bigger and as you add more clinics, it's it's uh, harder to to control that and and be part of that. So what what was your strategy and what what kind of culture were you interested in in building? Well, um, I I didn't know. I mean, you know, being I think like a lot of us in the outpatient physical therapy world, we came into the model to serve patients and treat open a center and try to do it a little better and and do right by the patient and the referral sources and do do therapy the right way and i think you know all of us you know we've had our hits and misses there and things we did well and learned from our mistakes but uh culture was a new one for me just like looking at financial statements and i didn't didn't uh what i saw going on which got me really curious about it was when i was visiting the individual centers and listening to the comment, and I used to go to all the staff meetings at all our sites, and that was a lot easier when it was six or eight versus 12 versus 30 versus 100. But I tried to make as many, because one, I love being in the field, love working with the clinicians, and love the uh, the industry. And so just hearing the conversations, what facilities were doing well, what areas were they struggling with, based on their leadership, the you know the individual leader at the facility, um, how facilities were, you know, stronger in some areas versus weaker than others. And, uh, and the inconsistency, the variability between the facilities I was noticing. And I would say when we were, you know, from the early on, when we opened our second facility, I had noticed differences, but then it became more prevalent and, uh, and maybe negative in some ways. Like, why is this facility struggling? Why are they dealing with turnover? Why are they, the patients and the staff not to be as happy? And, that got me really curious. I, it was probably around, you know, 10 years to 15 years into the business when we had uh, 10 to 20 locations that that we took a step. And I met someone through uh, YPO. His name is uh, Jim Defmer. And uh, Jim, uh, YPO Young Presidents Organization was a group I, I, I was, I'm still part of, but uh, was Though I'm, though I'm no longer young, <laughs> I uh, was part of that. And uh, we get together and we have facilitators and Jim was one of those. And he just had a way of way with himself and uh, as a leader and uh, a conscious leader and a conscious person that that started probing myself and you know my value system, but also what I would naturally apply to Athletico. And I remember bringing him in to talk to our group, and I honestly don't remember the subject matter. I think it was something like time management or something like that, which Jim's an expert and a, a thought leader in a lot of areas. 
But I brought him in and he listened. He got to the meeting early and we were going through a bunch of numbers and going through a bunch of issues for Atletico as a leadership team. And he just stood in the back and listened. And then I finally turned the floor over to him at the end of the meeting to talk, let's say, the last 45 minutes on time management or whatever the topic was. And Jim kind of forgot about his his presentation, but he said, you know, I, I sat in the uh, I sat in the uh, back of the room and listened uh, to you for the you know the meeting, and it sounds like you're talking a lot of the issues and you're going through a lot of information and results. But I thought to myself, you have you know the key people in this organization here in the room together for a couple of hours, and you're going basically through what what he would call information delivery, things you could read on a you know a packet or a deck before you got to the meeting versus talking about the real issues and what you're doing really well and what areas do you have to explore and get better at. And I was asking myself, why aren't you spending more and more time on that? Because you have a lot of smart people in this room. And I'm sitting over there off to the side thinking, well, I'm running this meeting, so I'm an idiot. And so <laughs> we have to uh, yeah. we have to reinvent it. And so we, we took that approach and we brought Jim in as kind of a, basically a facilitator for the company and a coach for us and an advocate. And we sat through what I would call some hard, hard conversations as a leadership team. And, you know, what was Athletico put on this earth for? Why, why are we here? And started asking our, you know, our value system and what's our core purpose and what's our mission statement look like and what are our key values? And it was a big group in the room, you know, 75 to 100 people at times that were trying to understand what our core values were at the time, which we, I remember we landed on patient satisfaction, accountability, continuous improvement and teamwork. And if, not everyone in that room raised their hand that they were completely comfortable with that value. Um, it would get taken off the board. And so it had to be a hundred percent, uh, consensus around it. And that's where we started. And we started, uh, developing that, uh, language and, and what we were there and we took it out to the field and we used the language. We discussed our values, why they were there, what they were important to us, what our mission was. And we started having, having conversations again, you know, 2005 to 2010 was a heavy lifting for this. And, and, uh, where we, we had, you know, we had to, uh, every bring everybody under the tent, so to speak. And, uh, we, as a leadership team had to certainly exhibit those values, but also talk about them because you have to use the language and you have to identify when things are going well. And, and we developed what I would call a, a culture of appreciation where you're catching people doing a lot of things right and appreciating them for it versus, you know, only identifying or having the conversations with them when they're doing things wrong in your eyes. And, uh, cause you can have those conversations, but if you haven't had the, the, uh, the conversations of appreciation, they make it much more difficult. And, um, so that was how it came to, you know, how culture came to Athletico and we worked on it. We went through our values. We'd have, you know, hours of meetings talking about what does patient satisfaction look like. And then we'd take that out to the field. And then we took those, we took those values and I'll wrap it up quickly, but we took those values and we applied them to everything. We took, we took them into our hiring process. How does this candidate look like in relationship to teamwork, accountability? How do they view continuous improvement? And then we also take them to our what you call our incentive plans and how people are comped and, and how, how did this person honor our value system in the last year? And we'd have the 360 reviews around that. So it became part of our, our language and part of our, what became our culture. And I'll say this, uh, not to discredit all the work that went into that. It's easier to do when you're in an organically grown organization that's just gradually or over time and sometimes not gradually, but growing organically. When you start doing acquisitions and bringing in, you know, cultures that have been developed in their own way for years and plug and playing them into your company, that's where, in my opinion, you have to reboot the culture and you have to go back to almost scratch and having those conversations again and saying, okay, do these values still apply to us today? And, um, and so that's, that becomes some more of the heavy lifting as the company grows. Yeah, you're, you're right on. I mean, you, you, you described so many really interesting and impactful things there. I mean, and the first thing is, uh, you know, you were brave enough and smart enough to, to get an early mentor and listen and, and, and learn and, and have somebody else, uh, kind of give you ideas and, and grow those. So, so that's impressive you know, you bring up YPO. I remember I, I, I heard about YPO and I said, that sounds like a great organization. And by the time I applied, I was too old. 
So <laughs> I wasn't able to get into YPO, but uh, yeah, I, I was a young CEO and I thought, oh my gosh, how am I too old to get into this program? But anyway, uh, that, that's great. But, but I do think you just bring up some really interesting things there about, you know, having those deep discussions and having input and, and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, you know, cause I'm a culture guy and I just think building that culture is so, so important. Uh, you know, way more than, you know, reading the spreadsheets and looking at the numbers. And of course those things are important, but that culture thing is really what drives a business, I think. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think it's too, particularly in times of stress, but uh, you know, you have to look at the numbers more. You have to dive into some of the issues you're having, but uh, we made it, uh, uh, where, you know, it was certainly talked about at every meeting, be it staff meeting, you know, individual staff meeting, regional meetings, platform meetings, what have you, but that we, if you don't talk about, and it's one of my messages to the leaders, if you're not having conversations about service and culture and you dive, you're going to dive in, particularly if, if you're having those with clinicians, because clinicians got into the field to treat people and do their job better. And if you're not having them, then you're really missing the boat or you're going to lose the field, so to speak or lose those connections or disable the ability to build bridges to the field, which is a, when you have growing organizations, it's a good opportunity. And, and you have to talk about that every day is how is our culture? Look around, what are we doing? Well, where are our gaps? What are our blind spots? And you mentioned bringing an outside person and, you know, Jim was like, like a lightning bolt for me, um, just the way he looked at the world and the way he viewed things like accountability, where I would be maybe perhaps I'll say, the smile on my face, quick to blame everybody. I'm really good at identifying what everybody else is doing wrong, but I'm sometimes slow to take the mirror and put it on myself. And uh, having an outside perspective um, makes it a lot easier to identify those blind spots and getting some outside viewpoints or, you know, that, that could be surveys with your patients or bringing in a, somebody from the outside. But if you don't do that, it becomes pretty quickly, uh, you'll, you'll identify that uh, things aren't changing and you're not getting better if you're just listening to yourself in a in a silo or you have your same group around without any outside influence. Uh, it becomes pretty, uh, pretty self-evident that your culture isn't going to advance that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you also brought up a really interesting point there where you described it as, you know, telling people when they're doing things well. You know, I, I, I define that as kind of like that deposits and withdrawal system. You know, if you have a lot of deposits in there, then if you need to take a withdrawal, the, uh, it's there so that you're able to take it. So I think that's an important piece, too. I use the same analogy. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't, you can quickly uh, overdraft your account if you haven't made those deposits. So I agree 100 percent. Yeah. And so if, if I were to say in a nutshell, describe your leadership style, how would you describe it? Hmm. Um, I, you know, I always ask people to put three words on themselves. So I guess I'm going to lean that direction. I think I'm a collaborator. I'm a relationship builder. I'm a recovering pessimist <laughs> that, uh, I, I have to shift my hard wiring through any personality profile is again, go negative, find all the, all the, uh, you bring me a, an idea or a solution and I'm going to tell you all the things that are going to go wrong with it first. And uh, then I shift, and I've gotten better with that, and that's through people like Jim and others in our work together, that I shift to what are the opportunities here? How might this make us better? And, and I I'll do this almost on a daily basis when I'm in a good state is shifting to the optimism. And because uh, and I know my hard wiring is going to make me really adept at finding out all the problems and being a pessimist because that's just – I have a I, – I, it's not a great, it's uh, it's the way I am. It's the way I understand my DNA. And uh, I, I wake up with, you know, all the things that are going to go wrong. And uh, and then I have to shift because I don't want to be that guy that is uh, looking at it, the world in a negative light because there's so many great, beautiful things out there. So um, I have to work at that, but I want to work at that. And so I work to, I shift to being positive. But I, I'm a I'm an open-minded, collaborative guy. I, I, those are the things I do well. I build relationships. I think I build trust with people. Um, where I struggle with is uh, sometimes the decision process where I want to hear everybody's opinion before I make a decision. And then sometimes if you, that, you let that go too far, it can be paralyzing. And so you have to, so at some point you got to call the ball. So I've been able to identify some of you know, my, certainly my weak spots, but uh, I think my strengths lie in that and the relationship side and really I'm always pushing to get better. Yeah, that, that's great. Now I hear that you're uh, that you're a girl dad. 
Um, what, have, what have you learned raising those three daughters uh, that, that's helped you be a better leader today? I, uh, well, being that we were coming out of uh, International Women's Day, uh, I put out a post, something about it. You know, I've been blessed with uh, my wife, Marianne, and, uh, you know, going on 33 years and three daughters. My uh, Fotini's 26, Margaret's 24, and Christina, our youngest, is 20, uh, just turned 20. And um, uh, I, I just, I suggested that I, you know, blessed with having four guideposts like them because they, they keep me in line pretty well. And, uh, and they let me know when my thinking isn't uh, quite where it needs to be, the way I look at the world. And sometimes that's probably because I'm a male or maybe it's because I'm from a small town or maybe it's because I'm a pessimist. But uh, I've been blessed with that. I think the amazing thing being a girl dad is uh, I have three daughters, beautiful girls, really smart, and really fun, good personalities. And and uh, they are individually so different than each other so I, I joke that you always know who the father or the mother is and i think i'm the father of all of them but sometimes i wonder <laughs> that's great so uh, now getting back to the business so when you're developing Ath- athletico and you're adding clinics and you have this culture you described and so on uh, are you still the sole owner of this whole thing or, or was there ownership opportunities for people or, or how did you uh, how did you handle that leadership piece of that well, that brings us to uh, from 91 to 2014, and, and probably before that. I, I remember getting calls when I was in the clinic treating patients from different financial sponsors wanting to talk to me, and I'm like, I got a clinic full patient. I don't know. What are you talking about? What do you want to do? And you know, I, I, you know, it's just part of the growth. And I guess we were putting ourselves on the map in a big market in Chicago. We had some strong competition, yet we were doing well in Chicago, and people were taking note of that. But again, I we had a partnership model. I think. Uh, when we did our first sale, so to speak, in 2014, I think there were 78 partners in the business, including myself. And, uh, and those were men and women that, that owned uh, a portion of their uh, individual center or their region, and they own uh, a piece of multiple clinics. And we sat, you know, sometimes with legal advice or financial advisors or people like Jim Dethmer and just having some conversations around Again, what we would put on this earth for is this, because I I wasn't going to just make, I mean, you heard how I make decisions at the time. I want the input of people that are usually smarter than me. And I just said, do you want to do this? I mean, we can grow. Our brand is solid. We can keep going the way we're going, or we could uh, we could sell part of the business and grow, or we could go out and borrow the money. It'll, you know, be, that's more risk to us. Um, there's opportunities here to, to, uh, to monetize the business in a way that that uh, we we as partners would all benefit from, and we laid it out. And I I wasn't by any stretch pounding my fist on the table. I just looked in the men in the eyes and said, "What do you, what do you want to do?" And uh, the team was uh, charged around growing the business and competing because, you know the you know the industry so well, and and you know that there was groups. ATI was one, Accelerated was one, the other groups uh, USPT and and Novacare Select were in our markets. Big big companies bigger than us. In some ways, yet we were, you know, succeeding, competing successfully against these other businesses, and so we saw it as an opportunity to uh, to grow the business. And the other thing I saw at the same time, the issues I was I was having was I had young men and young women that were going and opening uh, facilities in other states outside of our market, and it was it's pretty obvious that I could open a facility, or we could open a facility in the Chicagoland market. The brand was strong, our relationships were strong. If we opened a clinic amongst other clinics, stepping stone approach again, we that clinic wouldn't do very, very well, and it'd do very well in short order. But when we went into Milwaukee or Kenosha, Wisconsin, or the Quad Cities between Iowa and Illinois or uh, Indianapolis, you know, I was putting people in a situation where they were almost starting some from scratch. Our brand wasn't there. We didn't have the relationships. We didn't have the sports teams rebranding, as you mentioned. And so these facilities were not, you know, overly successful. They were taking a lot of heavy lifting and work by the people in our team to help make them go. And I'm like, gosh, you know, there's other ways to do this. There's other brands, maybe acquisitions, a way to go about it, or we're going to have to go in at a bigger, make a bigger play and open, commit to opening six clinics in Milwaukee versus one and waiting three to five years for it to get traction, or we're going to have to open 12 clinics or commit to that, which became more risk and more exposure for us as a business. And then naturally brought the question, do we want to do this all on our own, or do we want to grow with some uh, help from the outside, meaning financial help and advisory help? 
And uh, so that's what we decided to do. We uh, sold part of our business uh, in 2014 to uh, Harvest Partners, a financial capital firm, a private equity firm out of New York. And they were a great partner for us uh, at the time and, and the right fit. Um, they gave us opportunities to look at. We were growing organically by opening new centers. But at that point, we also brought on a team that could help us do an acquisition. I'll be honest, I, uh, I was looking at some small acquisitions uh, throughout those years, 2012 to 2014, developing relationships. And <clears throat> they brought, Harvest brought a couple opportunities outside the box, one of them being Accelerated, a company that, you know, we had 100 plus clinics accelerated as a company started around the same time, but they had grown, they'd done their own financial deals and they were 250 clinics and double the number of employees that we had. And we took it upon ourselves to acquire Accelerated, which not many would do, especially as their first acquisition. So those were some learning years, but uh, they were in our backyard. We knew them well. They had established beachheads markets in you know, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Michigan that we didn't have. And, uh, and they had a lot of great people and some different ways of doing things that I knew would add value to us. And so that became our first acquisition, which was, uh, I'll just say quite a, I'll call it an opportunity, but it was a, you know, yeah. a challenge in a lot of ways to uh, get through that. But we, uh, we managed, uh, you know, through yeah. those early years of acquisition. That's incredible. And so you basically, the smaller fish bought the bigger fish and then uh, y'all came together and you have what upwards of 300, 350 clinics at this time. So how did your role change uh, once that happened? Well, um, we, you know, that brought us to three, but we're actually over five, 550 locations. Now we've done some smaller acquisitions since then, but that was, that was, and again, that was five, six years ago. You know, my role changed in a lot of ways and in some good ways, meaning I was learning new skill sets. I was going into I, I learned quickly that I needed to get out into these markets and uh, and meet these people. And uh, and that was important because, you know, it helped Steve that I was a, a physical therapist and I we'd done what we'd done and our reputation was so, strong and solid. But they needed to hear from me and, and look me in the eyes, and and uh, and we didn't do everything perfectly by any stretch. But one of the things we did do well was go out and say, you know, we're we want to help, we want to collaborate, we want to hear how you do things, we want to listen, we want to be open-minded to, you know, Atletico's done it this way, Colorado's done it this way. What's the best way? And again, not always being perfect, but going out and meeting with them and listening to them. Every meeting to a to a group or a territory, I, I, we would ask for questions and someone would inevitably raise their hand and say, you know, something to the effect of, I just want to say thank you for coming out here and, and listening to us and being with us because, you know, it's a scary thing when you get this email or you get on a, uh, a late night voicemail call and you hear a strange voice saying, you know, welcome to the team. And, uh, and you don't want, know what that means. You're going to look at it personally and individually and we wanted to be thoughtful about that, and uh, I think we did a good job. Again, Accelerated did a lot of things well. They had a great group of people and some great facilities that were operating and establishing their own path in their markets that Athletico wasn't in, and we wanted to welcome them in a way that they felt comfortable and yet could do their best work. And so um, that was uh, that was new, you know, versus growing organically and and placing someone that had worked with you for three to five years into a new location and, and opening a clinic versus acquiring people that had done it their way for 10 years, 20 years. And now all of a sudden they're part of your team and uh, they may have some different ideas. So that was a whole different skill set that uh, though I enjoyed it, um, it, it brought a lot of, uh, you know, uh, staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night saying, <laughs> okay, am I doing this right? And, and how can we do it better? But uh as far as personal growth and, and uh, just great appreciation for people and, and other ways, you know, you get, you get blinded by your own ways of doing things. You work with your blinders on, I think naturally, and to go out and get kind of hit in the head with an integration like that is a, quite a learning experience. So I'm real curious when you talk about, you know, Athletico and you had 78 partners before you went into this uh, transaction. And so now you have a private equity firm and, and uh, you know, you had that ownership mentality before. How do people stay motivated and do the things that, the, that requires it to keep growing um, uh, without that ownership piece? Or, or how, do you, how do you maintain that ownership mentality? Well, the, on the blocking and tackling of it, I believe, you know, whatever org, uh, ownership structure or incentive 
plans you have that, that reward people for doing things right, working hard, keeping the interests of the, their staff and their patients directly in front of them. There's a lot of ways to do that. That could be equity like we did it in the early days to where we collapsed the corporation into one corporation when we did our deal. So instead of you know people owning a portion of one clinic, now they own the, a smaller portion of the entire business. And those people still have equity in the business, but as we've grown, that has had to adjust or change or be eliminated. So how do you set up your incentives? Are you driving the right values and the right performance, I think is key on, again, the blocking and tackling of it. But again, I think uh, a couple things come to mind. One, you're dealing with people that got into our industry for the right reasons. They got into it because they wanted to be uh, helpful. They wanted to help people get better. better. They wanted to uh, deliver value in their services. They got into, you know, the rewards of being a physical therapist with a patient and seeing them through a, a rehabilitation program are, are fantastic. And so we're dealing with people that wanted to do things for the right reasons. And if you put the right leaders in place that want to compete and not necessarily tell, tear down the competition, but do their do things better, care about the company and um, improve it and always guide it in a way that they're, they're willing to speak up and you have a culture Going back to our earlier conversation that welcomes that feedback, that brings collaboration, and there's no, you know, stupid questions, just stupid answers, so to speak, where you're willing to have the hard conversations and the leadership. That means me. That means all the leadership are going to go into it with an open mind versus come in with our natural biases. I think you, you can really deliver something special. It's easy and you have to have a sponsor that can work with you or partners, again, with Harvest and now with BDT, particularly through the last year or so with COVID, have been great partners for us and supportive. And BDT's model is a little different, and they have a longer-term 10-, 15-year view of the, the horizon for the company versus most private equity firms are, as you know, they have three to five years and, and going through uh, some type of transaction to sell to a bigger provider that's going to reinfuse them with cash and give them the opportunity to continue to grow. Uh, I've known a number of companies in our industry and others that have done, you know, multiple deals, and that's that's a stressful uh, environment and a stressful time for maintaining a culture. But luckily, I think we were with good partners. We've done two transactions now with different types of partners, and uh, our leadership, you know, those 78 people I mentioned, a good share almost to a person that is still are still involved with the company. Um, I've changed my role in the last 18 months. Um, to step out of the CEO role, which we can talk about too. But uh, I wanted to, uh, um, our leadership team, we have a really strong leadership team and a lot of, you know, good therapists that are heavily involved with the day-to-day -day decisions of how Athletico does their business. And they care and they want to get better and they want to compete in the right way. And so I think if you have, if you can check most of those boxes, you have a real opportunity to, to do things the right way deliver great results to the patients ultimately while you're there for and still have a company that can grow and be sustainable over the long term. So let's jump into that a little bit more. You said that your role has changed and you've stepped down from the CEO position. So I'm intrigued as to uh, why to do that and then what does that enable you to do now that you couldn't do before? So so um, tell us a little bit about your decision making or, or the process involved in, in taking on a different role. Well, I thought about it over time, and I think um, it was, you know, I I, uh, I love to read. I, I listen to more books than I read them now, but I think the beauty of audiobooks are audible. But uh, I I love hearing the stories and, you know, uh, applying, you know, my learnings, my personality to how other businesses have grown and whatever. And I think there was a number of, of factors that came, just like it did to the point where we, we decided to do a deal um, and selling, uh, selling to Harvest in 2014, it culminated with that. And the same was true with my role. I saw a bunch of leaders that in, within our company that I thought, you know, deserved opportunity to continue to grow. And I knew that and, and potentially run the company because, you know, they had the, the qualities and capabilities to do so. And, uh, and I knew that, you know, Kaufman being the leader for 30 years, after 30 years, maybe it's uh, time for a change. And I also talked with our partners early on, I think as early as 17, December 17, I think is when I had the conversation with them. And I said, listen, I, I may, may not have been the right person to uh, open this company and lead it. And it's gone much further than I ever anticipated. So I might, might have been the person to go from zero clinics or one clinic to 500, but I, I don't think I'm the person to go from 500 to 1,000. You know, I've, I've done it. 
Uh, I want to be supportive of the business in whatever capacity I can be. But at some point, we're going to need a leader with uh, some skill sets that I don't have. And they may be on the financial side or um, the deal side that, uh, you know, we did our deals. We did well with them. And then there were some personal things. You know, I again, my daughters, I was, I was an empty nester then at that point. My youngest was out of the house and in college. Uh, I had some friends that have uh, close friends and a couple employees that went through some health issues. And I thought, you know, I'm 56, 57 now or 50, almost 57. And and I had kind of had in my my mind, you know, 55 to 60 at some point when we did the deal with Harvest. You know, I was 50, 51 at that time, 50, I think. And I thought five more years and at some point I want to turn over the keys and uh, step into a different role. Could I go to 65? Sure. Um, I, I'd like to. I'd like to be say I'd be healthy, but who the heck knows? And uh, but, it, you know, knowing that uh, you and you and I are males and we're however old we are, that our our the, the life expectancy is low 80s for that. And uh, if I stop when I'm 65 to 70, that means I got maybe 10 more good years, 15 more good years. Is that what I want versus do I want a little more time, spend time with my kids and reconnect and connect in a better way or my family or my parents who are still alive and, and still be supportive of Athletico and maybe do some more things that I honestly hadn't because uh, I think you and your role and certainly me and my role as an entrepreneur or anybody that's been in a position that I've been in um, as people ask me the question, I describe, I, I just say it's 24 seven. I mean, if I'm at my daughter's swim meet, I'm thinking about the work. If I'm laying, going to bed at night, I'm thinking about Athletico. If I'm sitting in a weekend reading a Sunday paper, I'm thinking about Athletico. It just never turns off. And I wondered what that would be like. And so those questions ultimately led to me having the conversations with our financial partners, us going through a search to identify uh, a new CEO, which is Ron Rogers, who started in June of 19, thankfully uh, almost a year before COVID hit, to get him uh, a chance to understand and get on the business and, and lead it the direction he wanted to lead it. And uh, um, then uh, then having perhaps, uh, in my mind, a harder conversation with our team saying, I've made this decision, I'm committed to it, and here's what it's going to look like. And uh, And that was difficult because, you know, I as you mentioned, I'm a daughter, dad, and uh, father of girls in Athletico. I, I, I equate to being the son I never had. And I've spent a lot more time with my son than I have my three girls combined. And I, I just wanted to, you know, to cut that loose was gonna, I knew it was gonna be difficult and an adjustment for me, and it was. Uh, but I, I remain as executive chair, I'm part of the board. I'm involved with the things I think I'm good at to help support Ron and the team and the business. And um, and COVID is uh, honestly, in some ways, again, looking trying to find the bright side or the silver lining has been a blessing because it's taken me out of the office, forced me to to evaluate. Okay, what's really on my plate, and what are my list of responsibilities, and how should I apply my most valuable asset, which is my time, to them? And I've done some readjustments there. That it's in good hands, and uh, there's you know a lot of familiar faces uh, operating our business that are going to do it right. And uh, I just want to be as supportive as I can to whatever the destiny for Atletico is as it goes forward. So I'm so intrigued with this because uh, you just said earlier how you built this company and put it together and built it on culture and relationships and collaboration and all those what I would consider to be uh, right brain thinking skills. And now you've you mentioned that maybe I should turn it over to someone who's got more finance and more you know, business acumen and so on to, to take it to the next level, which, uh, you know, could be more of a left brain thinking approach. So I'm intrigued. How do you keep the, the culture going? How do you keep people happy that uh, grew up in the, in the company as it was uh, uh, being led by a right brain thinker and and. Uh, you know, how does it go forward? Because I do think there's a there's a dynamic there that, that I think is really interesting to think about. That's a great question. And I think, you know, I think, you know, it, it has to be going back to some of the things I talked about. And I think one of the common themes that I've dealt with over my career as a leader, and I'm sure Ron is in the CEO seat now and you did and whatever is, as you, you grow, particularly when you grow, you're in a high growth company or you're in a company, any company that's growing, people start you know, making the comments around, oh, we're not the company we used to be, or oh, we're changing now, or oh, we're all, all of a sudden the big boy. I remember 
uh, somebody describing Athletico or, you know, the big changes of fast food and physical therapy or something. And I would get very defensive around that because I knew where our value system was and they weren't behind the curtain seeing how we were operating and the conversations we were having around the business. But people would always kind of put a negative connotation to change. And I, I'm like, I would just start without not always successfully without getting defensive, I'd just start challenging them and say, okay, tell me one thing that hasn't changed in the last five years, 10 years or in your career. You know, how do we document? How do we, how does our compliance change? How do we treat? How do we bill? What do we get for reimbursement? You know, what do we have to do to achieve reimbursement? How do you, you know, your evidence-based practice, how are you applying that? Your CEU uh, pass and what specialties you're developing as a th therapist and I think it pretty quickly where I'm going with it is everything. You, and I believe in this, that you're either getting better, or you're getting worse, you're never standing still. And so it's up to you. Are you going to change for the better and continually to, to improve? Or are you going to start backpedaling? Because if you want to sit, you know, on your laurels or your, you know what, you're going to, you're going to go backwards or you're going to stand still in a way that's going to lead to you going backwards and you're not going to continue to improve. So I think that's part of it. And so that, we also want to say, you know, type the conversations that are transparent around our business on the finance side and that, you know, for us to operate, you know, when I talk about something like, uh, you know, the hard conversations, if you want to put a label around it, when you're talking to therapists about billing and collecting for our ser services, I think we as a body of professionals are, are woefully inept at, at earning the dollars we should earn and it's getting better and we're putting our fist down on the table and saying, we deserve this. We're a, a great provider. We're a low cost provider. We, we can, we should be further up on the food chain and, and the, uh, the healthcare spectrum than we used to be versus, you know, subservient to the, uh, the physician referral. And so having those conversations around, we deserve every dime we, you know, should get for our services and not a penny more. And so billing appropriately for what we've delivered and, and seeking reimbursement is not a bad thing. And we need those dollars because you as a physical therapist or you as an employee for Athletico, you want to be, you want to earn a fair salary. You want to receive an end of year bonus for your going above and beyond the expectations of the position. You want to receive good benefits. You want to have a good continuing education program or apply yourself to any career paths or certifications that are, or uh, whatever in, in your uh, career. You want to be trained on how to be a leader. And, and so to, to have these things in our business and to continue to grow, we have to be profitable. And so being willing to have transparent conversations, to be willing to have the business conversations and educating our team around how the business works, I think is all part of that. Uh, for me on the finance and the right brain, left brain question, I just felt, you know, I remember there were times I was either meeting with our finance team and, you know, you want to see me drift in a meeting, you know, put a, put a few real estate leases in front of me or put a bunch of financial statements and I'll start, you know, going drifting or daydreaming about what I really like to do. Yeah. I remember going out to New York for, uh, call it some, uh, the meeting with the rating agencies on refinancing our debt and things like that. And some of that I enjoyed and the learning around it, but a lot of it, I'm like, gosh, I, I would rather be working with the team or I'd rather be in the field or I'd rather be talking to potential acquisition or whatever that may be. And I just saw myself like, you know, th this business needs this skill set. Um, there's people out there that, you know, I think for the next phase for Athletico, the new leader is going to have to have some of these uh, these skills that I don't have. And I, I could spend the next five years trying to learn, but it'd be a waste of time because I don't enjoy it. And uh, so that's kind of what led to my decision process. Um, and yet uh, to ask the question around the company, you know, it's again going back to yeah, you can have the transparent conversations around the finances of the business, how COVID's impacted, how you're going to bounce back, how you're going to drive forward, how you're going to continue to grow and, and meet your budget and your expectations. But you got to have the conversations about around the around the care, the quality, uh, around compliance, around growth, around your culture, and you got to be balanced. I think balance. I think you know, going back to my self characteristics, balance is one of them. You got to be balanced in that because if you just talk about the finances, you're going to lose the field. You're going to lose your path or your way, and uh, you're going to ask for some difficult, difficult conversations in a very quick fashion if you don't. It's very interesting to be looked at as the 800 pound gorilla, and then being judged yeah. a lot by non uh, non informed opinions. Uh, that's for sure. 
So, you know, it, another thing you said there that I think is really interesting is to, you know, focus on what you're good at. I can remember as a young CEO, I was just really paranoid about not having that finance background and not understanding as much as I thought I should. So yeah. I actually went and hired a high level a partner in an accounting firm to, you know, teach me how to better read uh, balance sheets and income statements and all this. And after about mm -hmm. uh, 30, 45 minutes, uh, she looks at me and she said, uh, what are you doing here? And I go, <laughs> well, I'm trying to, you know, get better at this. And she goes, are you the CFO of the company? And I go, no, I'm the CEO. She goes, well, then if you don't want to be the CFO, you know enough to do your job. Well, get out of here and quit wasting my time and your money. <laughs> I yeah. That was great advice. That was good advice, and it was it was uh, very open minded to you to do that. My my learning was almost a little bit of a similar story. I again going into my the first clinic, I I read everything I could get my hands on. I remember there was a book by uh, the founders of Smith and Hawk and the Mail Order Gardening Tool. I think it was called Starting Your Own Business. And one of their chapters and one of their messages was do what you do best. Hire people around you to do the things you don't do well or enjoy. And I remember kind of falling back on that but uh yeah it's uh it led me to get you know spending my energy where i and where i was useful and yeah. it sounded like you did the same thing yeah absolutely so share with us a little bit about you i know you've done a lot of nonprofit uh, charity work as well uh, uh, boys and uh, girls club work and so on so tell us a little bit about that side of your life yeah, uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters is actually the one oh, I work with. I'm sorry, with. okay. I mean, yeah. No, it's, yeah. people get them mixed up all the time. So Big Brothers Big Sisters is mentoring of uh, underprivileged youth, people at risk, kids that you know don't have usually single-parent homes. And you know, when you group my charitable work, which I'm very proud of and am energized by, I, 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 the story I tell is this, Steve. I, I was 10 years into the business, and I had three daughters, young daughters at the time. I was working all day, all night around Athletico, just trying to figure it out and where this business was taking me. And we had whatever, 10, 15 clinics and, you know, hands-on to a certain extent. I'm still treating patients every day. And, and I, at some point I figured out I wasn't doing anything really well. I was, I wouldn't give myself an A for being a dad or a husband or a a leader or a PT. And, uh, and that was frustrating to me. And I remember some friends of mine, close friends that are still close, uh, came to me. And, and one, of, one of them, I remember, uh, was one, one of the ones that introduced me to YPO, was a fitness industry leader. And uh, Steve Schwartz with uh, Midtown is the company, Tennis Corporation of America, and his father, Alan. And uh, they, they introduced me to Athletico, or I'm sorry, Athletico, to uh, YPO. And they also introduced me to Big Brothers Big Sisters. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's interesting. And another friend of mine you know, was on the board. And and I took a look at it, and I said, you know, I'm just too busy. I got, I'm a, got young kids. I'm uh, got this job that's, you know, got its arms around me, and I just don't have the time. And uh, so I didn't do it. And two years later, uh, I was with Steve again, and with my other buddy John. And uh, they said, you should be on the board. You'd be a really good fit for Big Brothers, and you know, helpful to the organization and what have you. And uh, and I, I looked at myself and again, probably looked in the mirror and said, okay, you still got Athletico with its arms around your neck and you still got three daughters and a wife and taking all your time. It's, it's your call. It's not their fault. It's, it's what you're willing to do or are you willing to, you know, commit some time and energy to something else that's bigger than you. And, and it was one of the great blessings in my life, the decision uh, to join Big Brothers Big Sisters board, which I did in like 0304. I've been on it for you know, 17 years or whatever now. And, and uh, and joined, got involved with some other things. And I, it's it's as anyone's done with their charitable work or their efforts outside of their work and their personal relationships. When you do something like this, the returns on your time and investment are multiples of uh, what you give out of it. I get so much more than what I put into it. But I've seen that in the uh, the external, you know, the uh, the other bucket, the uh, charitable work or the non for profit stuff I've done. And uh, you, you got to be, again, the way I look at it is, and I went through this exercise at the end of this past year, is does it truly give me energy? Do I, when I see this show up on my calendar, do I have energy or do I have a heavy side of, oh, no, not another board meeting or whatever? And are you, are you truly passionate about this? Because if you go into it and go through the motions, which I've seen uh, with people in, on different boards and ones I'm on, they're just going through the motions or they've lost the energy around or they don't have true passion for it. It shows up and they stop showing up for the meetings or they stop, you know, contributing or they stop supporting. 
and giving their all to it. And, and that's not good for anyone. And so um, finding things that you really have energy around. And I think if I was coaching and I've done this, speaking to other groups, uh, the earlier you get started, I waited, in my opinion, too long. Could have done it earlier, but I made up the excuses for it. And when I finally took the step, um, it was, again, one of the best things. And I think it's balanced me out to where I can, I set aside Athletico back then for a couple hours for a board meeting and focus on Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And uh, we've helped the organization grow and do a lot of good things. And most importantly, mentoring, providing mentors for more kids, more children. And, uh, you know, where that has led is anyone's guess. But uh, um, it was a good distraction for me, um, if I could call it a distraction, meaning it took me away from my business and applied my energy to something else and getting some real great return on that. And, uh, and, uh, I think balanced me as an individual. So I would encourage, and it doesn't have to be financial. It could be your most valuable asset. Again, your time, if, uh, the young, the, the younger you get into these things, or, and you may have a few hits and misses on where you decide to apply your energy, the church, your community, what have you, um, some organization like big brothers, big sisters, but, uh, wherever you apply yourself, uh, have some fun with it. It can be really rewarding. Well, that's, that's real admirable. And, uh, uh, not only did you get a lot, a lot out of it, but I'm sure the organization benefited from your uh, time and services as well. So uh, thank you for doing that. that that's awesome. So, uh, Mark, usually at this time in the interview, I ask a common question to all my guests. And that question is, in relation to leadership, what is a pearl of wisdom you could leave us with today? Um. Well, I'll, I'll go with what uh, what came to mind first, I guess, is usually the thing is, um, well, two things, listen, listen and, and listen with an open mind and an open heart. Um, strip your biases from whatever you're, you're hearing from your team or whatever meeting you're part of and just take a few, you know, the three deep, deep breaths can usually help center you and just... Uh, and listen before speaking up, because usually the the biggest the biggest opportunity or challenge is when you feel that urge to speak, you feel that urge to offer your wisdom or your experience is usually a good indicator for you to just take a deep breath and just keep listening. And uh, you'll usually kind of find uh, where you can truly offer the value or offer something that hasn't been said. And then the appreciation side, it's such a gratitude is such a great uh, gift we all have uh, the ability to deploy more and uh, there's nothing you know I don't care if it's writing a check or to calling somebody and telling them thanking you thanking them for being in your life or thanking them for being a mentor or circling them back for something that you know if it comes back to your mind more than once it's probably someone telling you something about that so gratitude appreciation and being a good listener I mean that's what that's what came to mind for me so I guess I'll land on that that's awesome, Mark. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story with us today. It's been really fun to, to watch you grow through all these years and, um, uh, you know, just create something that's uh, it's pretty impressive. So congratulations on that. And I remember uh, a few years ago, uh, if you remember, I told you that uh, when I was a, a little kid, I mean a little kid, I was a Bears fan. And I've never <laughs> seen a, I've never seen a football game in Soldier Field. So you promised you were going to take me to a, a Chicago Bears football game uh, one of these days. So I'm going to hold you to that. You still still with that? You look at the uh, I have a I have a great place that you'd enjoy sitting in at Soldier Field, and I just got the notice that we're going to be allowed back this year. So look at that schedule when it comes out, and uh, be happy to have you and yours come visit in Chicago. It's a great city. Um, and hopefully we'll have a, a good Bears team coming up. I believe in the new coach, and uh, I'm hoping they can pull it together to have a good run. Yeah, well, I uh, I hope so, too. I'd love to see that, so I'm going to take you up on that. But, again, thanks for your time today. It was uh, really interesting, and I think you really brought up some great leadership points. Um, you know, it's, it's great to see people successful and, and, and do the right thing, and uh, uh, being a Northwestern alum, I, I think that's awesome. So thanks again for your time today, and uh, – um, I'll be in contact about that game, and I'll see you down the road for sure. We'll look forward to it. Thanks for the invitation, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website 
orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com. Thank you.